So, if any of you don't know me, my name's Anna Van Straulen, and uh, by day I, I study and I work as a university lecturer in art, um, and I go to this church and have for a very, very long time, and I'm a girl, and that's about all you need to know about me. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm really excited to be here. This is um, sort of my first, first time preaching, um, so yeah, forgive the nerves. Just going to shake it out. Um, my topic tonight is even when I make a mistake. So we've been talking about winter warmers, even in the winter, and um, I was so excited because um, it just really fit beautifully with what I want to talk about, which is something that has um, landed on my heart this year. Um, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever had that sort of thing where you've had this amazing revelation and then you've tried to tell someone about it and it comes down to something like, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and they say, yeah, cool. <laughs> um, it, it's not really profound because it's all written down already, um, but some of these things have to be worked out and I, I worked something out that to me was incredibly epic and special and important, and I'm really hoping to pass on um, something of that feeling um, to some of you tonight. Um, have you ever had a terrible day, just an awful day, where something's gone really wrong, and you've come home and you've gone, I got up this morning, and I had a day that was given to me, and I wanted to do well. You may be a Christian already, so you may have prayed and gotten ready and gone into the day and made a muck up of it. And you've come home and you've gone, I guess I need to pray about that. And you don't even really want to because you don't really know what to say because your real thoughts are, where did that come from? That can be really demoralizing. And it can be really hard to pray because it's, it's hard to find the words to say because you don't want to blame God. And you also don't really know how to make it stop if you don't know where it came from. You can think... If I can't do the right thing, even when I'm trying my hardest to follow Jesus, does that mean that I'm always going to be a sinner? In these situations, big and small, it can be really tempting to follow that thought until the conclusion that you think, well, we are sinners. We're born into a sinful world. We grow up with sinful examples. We're doomed due to corruption in this world that we're only going to see teeny tiny glimmers of God's kingdom and we're going to be occupied in this cycle of seeing God for who he is, trying, sinning, repentance, confession, or confession and repentance, forgiveness, repentance, sin again. And then you just round this whole cycle. And that's going to keep us busy forever. And so that can feel really terrible. It can seem like a relief, actually, to accept Jesus' forgiveness and say, well, sorry, this is just who I am. This is what you get with me, but I really like you, and I'm always going to tell you the truth, and that's just where we are. You know, you're good, I'm not good, we'll leave it there. And for some people, that's where they stay with, with Jesus. That's how it stays. But the good news is, that's not all we have. That's not actually where we need to stay. The Bible tells us that Jesus has got a much bigger and better plan than that. He's got more in store. 
So if you've got your Bible, and if you don't have one, there's actually scattered through um, the pews, I believe that there is a Bible that you can take with you if you don't have one of your own. You can keep that, but otherwise you can just pick it up and leaf through it. Um, so I'd love you to join me um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 to 21. I love physical Bibles. I love pages. I'm really not very good with the old interwebs, I sometimes find myself going through reading all the verses and then realizing I've been reading the same verse in the different translations. I'm like, yeah, it's really repeating itself. (laughs) So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you could take an awful lot from this passage, but I'm, I'm going to look at three things. And the first is that we are not our old selves when we become Jesus' followers. We are new creations. Look at the people around you. If they've given their heart to Christ, they are not who they were. All of your experiences, all of the sums of, of, of your experience with them that's not it. In fact, it might not be a good picture of who they are at all, and it's certainly not a picture of who they might be later. They are a new creation. We are a new creation as well. I think sometimes it's easier to look at other people and go, I know you can do great things, and I know that you're pretty amazing, but I don't know about me. We don't see anyone from a worldly point of view anymore. We become new creations through faith. We go from seeing Jesus Before faith, we might see him just as a man, just as a person who did some cool stuff and that had a bit of a sticky end. But we realize at some point our eyes are opened and we believe that he is God and he is man. He is perfect and he has infinite potential. The Holy Spirit comes to live with us, in us. And yet, we sometimes forget to rejig our understanding of who we've become. Our identity in the moment of salvation under goes an enormous change. I don't know how many of you are into athletics, high jump. Um, I used to be boss at high jump. I was amazing. I'd just run up there and I'd go over and I'm just like, I'm the queen and I'll be at the Olympics soon. (laughs) But something happened in about grade nine where I just went, yep, I'm great at this. And I had a go and I got up to the bar and went, whoa now. (laughs) that's very high and I've fallen over and I know that that breaks bones in my body and I am not doing that anymore no I I can't do that there's this thing that happens when we learn from experience that means that we pull ourselves back and we remind ourselves what could go wrong children are good at high jump because they sort of leap without really wavering they don't really hang all the possibilities in their mind as they go they just go They don't feel limited, and they're discovering their ability. They don't know if they can do it or not, but that's their life. They they always sort of think, 
I don't know if I can, but there's a lot of things I didn't know if I can, but I can now, so I'm going to have a go. They're excited to develop their skills, and they trust that success is possible. When your brain kicks in and says no, when you've sort of gone through that change, you remember the times that you didn't make the jump. You falter because you realize the bar is higher than what you think you can do. Your instincts make you slow down, and you don't take the jump. High jump becomes impossible when your body, through risk analysis, will not let you even try. Now, risk analysis is something that I've had to learn how to do at work, and it's really boring and important. Um, <laughs> and what they tell you <laughs> is that you have to get a complicated bunch of forms, and you have to define what are the hazards of your activity, how serious are the outcomes of those hazards, and how likely is it that they will occur. Mostly, I have to say things like, we're going for a walk, it's going to be okay. <laughs> when we view our future through the lens of our mistakes, we are likely to view our relationship with Christ through the risk, lens of risk analysis. And we consider through our nature, oh, sorry, and in risk analysis, we make these discoveries. Uh, we discover many hazards, we fear their outcomes, and we consider through our nature as a sinner that they are inevitable. So who's going to jump? When we give ourselves fully over to Christ, it's not a gesture. He does something in us. He makes us over new with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he charges us to be like him. He equips us with the Holy Spirit, which reminds us of everything that Jesus has said to us. He gives us the use of his authority and his identity. And when God looks at us, he sees us from a heavenly point of view. We can do things we can't do alone, and we can become something that we never could without God. God sees all this, but we need to see it too because it affects how we behave. How we believe has the capacity to make us decide. Are we going to follow Jesus in the way that he asks us, or is it too risky? We are like grown-ups having to unlearn our physical weakness and become like children, and deciding once more to be like kids, have the courage to simply train for those jumps, letting our fear of missing a few stop us from trying. We can be courageous in the knowledge that, as Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, he will never leave us or forsake us. The next thing that we can take from that passage is that the old has come and the new is here in us through Jesus. I used to play this game called Bookworm, which is on the iPad. Oh, sorry, no, not the iPad, the computer, the PC with the fat bag. And I used to just play, play, play. It was like torture, except I couldn't stop. Um, and you'd just move through these ranks, archivist, assistant librarian, all the way up to ultra bookworm supreme, which I never saw, by the way. My mum did. <laughs> that helps us visual visualise our progress. And it comes with perceived status, mum. <laughs> it helps us feel rewarded for our efforts. Now, we do mature, and as we mature, we are able to see and do more. The Jewish culture in the Old Testament shows us that there is a problem, though, with hierarchy and with earning and with achievable goals. It gives us a sense of righteousness that I can do it. I can get this done on my own steam. And this sense of righteousness isn't true. We can never measure up to God on our own efforts. 
Romans 3, if you'd like to turn in your pew Bibles, verse 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We are redeemed, and we have free access to grace. There is no need to try and earn what has been given to us in full. Earlier in Romans 3, 19 and 20, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. And therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by the works of the law. Rather, though through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So those rules are only ever going to show us that we can't do it. And that's useful because we need to know that. We can't do it by ourselves, but it's not going to save us. The law makes us understand that we need God desperately, but it won't save us. We are under grace, accepting Jesus' purchase of us in full. We don't go shares with Jesus. We are not splitting the bill. We're not going to put a penny towards that because when we sinned, we became bankrupt. God, and through his son Jesus, paid it all. And our role is now not to wallow in self-pity and guilt and shame and be sinners because we are busy becoming the righteousness of God. And this is where it gets messy. Because why is it that us, the blossoming righteousness of God, still mess up and have that nasty day that I talked to you about? Or maybe a nasty week or maybe a bad six years? Why do we still have the desire to do the wrong thing? And why do we sometimes find ourselves in the middle of accidents that are just from poor judgment or maybe mistakes where we just did the wrong thing? Jesus' death and resurrection has two parts. Death and new life. For us, it means two things. Forgiveness of sin, transformation into the likeness of Christ. It's okay that that transformation takes time. When we stay permanently focused in the cleaning and cleansing and repentance and sorrow and guilt and shame half, we can actually become stuck there. Guilt and shame can lead us to being vulnerable to the enemy, pointing the finger and saying, you aren't saved, you aren't loved, and you aren't able. Accepting Jesus, we also need to accept that in him, for after salvation, all our identity lies in him and under his lordship. We have We have the ability to stop sinning. We have the ability to become like Jesus because Jesus isn't a sinner. And we carry the identity of Christ in place of our old one, which was done away with on the cross. And in that new identity, the Holy Spirit helps us to grow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These fruits of the Spirit aren't band-aids on our sin. They are like anti-venom in a sinful world. They bring healing and they bring breakthrough. They help others find Jesus. Let's talk about the word reconciliation. It means to equal the same amount or to add up. God sees Jesus and all that he has done when he looks at you. It means that we're united in friendship with him after conflict. The cost of our sin and the things that we did before we said we were sorry and asked Jesus to forgive us was paid in full. And not only that, it's a blank check. Isn't that ridiculous? It's the power to cover all the wrong we've done and power to cover all the wrong we're going to do. 
On the cross, he overcame all sin. It was enough. It's going to be enough for your kids and the sin that they do. If they turn to him and ask for forgiveness, they'll get it. It's enough. You are completely free. When we look at these mistakes that we make after the bad day, I think some of it is fear. What's going to come of this? What's coming next? But when we know that he has dealt with it and he has paid it for us and he's still there with us, what is there to fear? Nothing. 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 And the answer to the question, what does God think of me when I make a mistake? Even when I make a mistake, he sees Christ in you and what Christ did. Christ is yours for good. So does that mean that sin doesn't matter? Why bother living with restraint at all? Why not sin all the time? Why do Christians work so hard? What's the point? Romans 6, verses 15 to 18 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but, by, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin to become slaves to righteousness. As a culture, we are very interested and intent on achieving non-disposable living. Flushable toilet wipes. They're not flushable. Let's not bother. Unnecessary packaging. Straws. That turtle video with the straw. I don't want straws anymore. We want something that lasts. So is it possible in a relationship where our love for Jesus and our heart for his heart uh, is that we want... No, wait. And our heart for his heart is what? He wants from us. <laughs> she got there. <laughs> to hear what Jesus has to say about the wickedness of sin and what's, what's brought onto the earth by, through sin and everything in it. Is it possible to understand that because of sin, hands grabbed the man who did nothing wrong and nailed him to a cross? Is it possible to understand that he went willingly to save our lives in the hope that we would become freed from the slavery that comes from the condemnation of sin and death? And its final outcome. Is it possible to know this and enjoy the benefits of doing the things that he hates and that put him up there? As sinners, we didn't know any better. As Christ followers, I don't think that we can treat the cross like that. It's not a huge box of flushable wipes for us to clean ourselves and disappear down the U-bend without any consequences. I don't think we need to worry about sin and our desire for sin when we spend time with Jesus. We just know too much about what it is. We've been made new to give glory to God through submission and obedience. We are freed from slavery of sin, and it's true freedom, but we become willing slaves to righteousness, and that's the difference. It's completely performed through obedience. God is the almighty God. He's bigger than we can imagine he is king of all kings, and he is so mighty that it, we should fear him. That is the right thing to do. So we're really fortunate, we're really blessed that he is so good. He has chosen what he wants from us, and it just happens to be what makes us come alive. 
we're being called to a beautiful, gentle relationship with Jesus where he wants to call us into grace living, into obedience that pulls us closer to him, into a friendship tied with trust and allegiance to his lordship and is expressed in us through our loving what Jesus loves and saying yes to all his calls. God didn't remove the power to choose from Adam and Eve. He grows us not by taking over and defeating our will, but by teaching us to trust. And this is a process. Every time we make a wrong turn by accident or in a moment of, uh, sorry, every, take we, every time we make a wrong turn by accident or in a moment where we take up our old sinful habits, we have the experience of discovering that where sin used to own, accuse and control us, we can choose to reject it. It doesn't have any power to tie us up. Those who don't know Jesus don't have the power to reject sin. Every time they run, they run into a new one. It's their master. And it, has, it has them under the thumb. But with Jesus as our master, we are exercising the, the not truth of that. We can get up and we can say, I hate that and detest it and reject it and leave it behind. That is in itself miraculous. It is amazing. The process of recognizing that we have sinned and running to Jesus to repent and move on makes us hate sin more and depend on Christ more. Not identifying with ourselves as sinners doesn't stop us from repenting. We should be sorry when we do the wrong thing. But it's actually a guard against sinning again. If you think you're a donut machine, you're going to make donuts. I don't know if any of you guys are old enough to remember this awful, awesome, cool show called The Storyteller, which was Jim Henson, except, like, really scary. <laughs> they were like puppets, but they all had teeth, and it was dark fairy tales, and it, it was sort of... I remember it giving me nightmares, but I also wanted more. It was a strange place to be. There was this one story that was about this girl. Um, she was under the, the slavery of this evil, disgusting-looking troll, and... Um, it used to come to her and, and give her a task that she couldn't do. One of them was that she had to create a huge quarry out of mud in a day and she only got given like a little spoon to do it with and she just wept and then this lion appears out of nowhere for some reason um, and helps her. Um, she, she cries so much I think that she falls asleep. Anyway, lion shows up and then digs a quarry for her and then when the troll comes back he gives her another task, fill it up with the spoon. And then the lion turns up, because it's a story, and then fills it up with water. <laughs> and then it keeps happening until eventually the evil troll makes her build a castle, but the lion keeps helping her, and so it ends up being okay. That's not God. God's not mean. He doesn't give us a spoon and tell us to do the things that he has told us to do. He cares about us, and he only gives us commands that he is going to help us achieve. Of course it's through him. He's going to give us that power, but he's not enjoying watching us suffer. He's not enjoying watching us struggle. Some of his commands, repent, follow me, rejoice, let your light shine, honor God's law, be reconciled, don't lust, keep your word, go the second mile, practice secret discipline, lay up treasures in heaven, seek God's kingdom, don't judge, choose the narrow road, love your enemies, be perfect as I am perfect. He's not asking us to dig a giant hole with a spoon. 
He's going to help us get it done, but we can get it done. We are new creations in him. We've been blended together in this fabulous, saved, amazing relationship where Jesus is going to help us do everything that he has commanded us to do. So we can trust him. So what happens when you do stuff up? What do do we do with that then? Well, I'm going to bring out another stupid illustration, Mr. Squiggle. Um, (laughs) You take a scribble, another old TV show, and then it looks like nothing and it's just a mistake. And then it's like God gets a pencil, does some things to it, says upside down, turns the whole situation upside down. He can can work with it, becomes a a camel eating an ice cream (laughs) or something. It's a bit random. But when we make mistakes, we kind of stuff up the idea that God had. His ideas are better than our ideas. He can work with us, and it's going to be okay. So he doesn't see a sinner who has soiled their lovely, bright new identity in Christ when we make a mistake. He doesn't see a disobedient, naughty child. He sees Jesus in us, given in full, an upfront gift of salvation. And when we say, help, please, he just says, right, here's what we need to do now. And he gives us a new chance to submit, a new chance to obey, and we get to watch beauty come out of the ashes. So what do we need to do? What now? Well, I want you to know that he has called you with the full package. If any of you are waiting for somebody to notice that you've been made by God and that you are called and that you have a purpose and that he can work with you, it's really nice when somebody notices that about you, especially somebody important, like a leader, like Jesus. He's called you. You're as called as you're ever going to be when you're called from him. (laughs) And so if you're a little doubtful if people are going to take you seriously when you go out there and start living the Jesus life, for real, stepping it up, you are called. You are important. You matter to him. And he called you personally. And that is yours. So you don't need to wait any longer for a tap on the shoulder from your pastor or from a mate or anyone else. You've had the call from him. He's calling you into a deeper and more personal relationship with him. And one of the things that we're just going to need to do is let go of who we were. We need to assess the areas of struggle in our lives. If we know that they can be beaten, if we know that sin doesn't have to own us, um, and I'll just invite the band up as well um, while I'm getting this done. (laughs) If we know that it doesn't have to be that way and that Jesus, every, every intention is that he's going to take us through it and he's going to take us past it, then we need to assess whether or not we've let that stuff go and whether we've decided that that's just like a wart in our foot and we're just going to have to walk around on it and it's going to be painful forever and that's just the way it is. I would love you to get on your knees in front of Jesus and bring that what, whatever that thing is in your life that just seems to be a part of who you are even though you don't want it to be. I just want you to invite Jesus to show you anew what things can be like. He can lessen, He can heal and He can redeem every evil in our lives. He has the power, He has the will, He has the desire. We need to exercise our spiritual identity. One more silly illustration. I love watching this anime called um, My High School Academia. And it's, it's very Japanese. 
but there's this wonderful thing that happens when this big main character, he's like Captain America except Japanese style. He imparts all of his power. He's the most powerful one in that universe and he imparts it all on this young boy who just feels like he's a nobody. And it's amazing. It's like the coolest story. But the problem is that when he starts trying to use that power, it's like bits fall off him because it's it's so much he doesn't know what to do with it. And he has to train and he has to learn how to use it. And that's how I feel like we are. It's not that we haven't got that power behind us. We just have to figure out how God is going to teach us uh, to to work with him as our Lord. And he's going to take us through that. But just because something goes wrong doesn't mean that things aren't working or that he doesn't love you. It just means that we're a process. We're in training. And so I don't want you to give up. I want you to keep trying, but do it in Jesus. Don't try and do it on your own. When you look at slime, that stuff that people muck around with on the internet, it's made out of two parts. One of them's glue, and it's just glue. And one of them is the contact fluid, which is the activator. And it becomes melded together so much that you couldn't see where the activator is and where the glue isn't. So why do we try and see our sinful nature away from Jesus when we invite him in? It doesn't, it's not there. It's something that was. That's not you anymore. Jesus, with Jesus, is never going to leave you or forsake you. So we need to give him a shot at every sore spot in our lives. And just before I finish up, thank you for listening. I just wanted to put it out there that if all of this has not been something that you can use because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I just wanted to invite you with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you like the sound of a life where you don't have to be haunted and punished by the things that you've done, and if you would like to live a life where you can be free of those and you can be who you are made to be because Jesus loves you and will work with you. He died to save you and he wants you to be in partnership with him. He wants you to obey him and he wants to take you somewhere amazing. If you would like him to be the Lord of your life, if you want to give him control and just see what he's going to do with your heart, with your life and with your mistakes. If you are interested in the idea of what a redeemer can do, what somebody as good as Jesus can do with your heart, I would like you to raise your hand now. And I just want to pray for you. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to be showing to these lovely people just what you think of them. I want them to be able to see that they are truly saved today and that their name is written down in the book of life. And Lord, I just ask that they would just continue to search out ways to to meet with you, Lord, that they would want to pray, that they want to open their Bibles, that they'd want to talk to people who know you. And God, I just ask that you would just be pulling them in, Lord, that you would be wrapping them so deeply up in your love that they won't want to leave, that they won't want to go and do their regular work or anything because they just want to pray. Thank you so much, God, for what you're doing. And I pray, Lord, that we would be committed to you, that we would be giving over every area of our life to you. And Jesus, that you would be Lord in our life and in our world. And we pray this in your name. Amen.